High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Son, you gotta work late. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Ugh, the endless summer continues. And and don't give me that. Don't give me that. Look, I live in New York, in the northern hemisphere, in a temperate zone, right? We have all four seasons here. Summer begins. September 22nd. I still have time to get on that fall schedule. We still have time as the slumbers, as the High School Slumber Party universe. Speaking of High School Slumber Party, this podcast is High School Slumber Party. The podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the summer slumber party is at my place this evening. But first, let's talk about your homework. Did you check out our awesome hairspray episode with Kate Hudson? Got a lot of positive feedback from that. So thank you for listening to that episode. And we always thank Kate Hudson for being awesome. And remember, you can check out episodes of High School Slumber Party wherever you get your podcast or at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And those places that you get your podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, what else, what else? Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a positive review or tell a friend about High School Slumber Party. Support the show. Support us so we can get on that fall, fall schedule. Also, hit us up on social media. You know where. High School Slumber Party. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So now that we got the formalities out of the way, I appreciate you waiting for this one because it's a good one. This is one of Mike Manzi's favorite films, believe it or not. Night of the Comet. So the superintendent himself is here to talk about it and i can't wait so let's just get right into this one pack your favorite jammies tell your mother you're sleeping at brian's because we're about to get our party on let's leave you with a song actually called night of the comet on the night of the comet soundtrack by who's it by let's see the night hobs how convenient see you on the other side Superintendent, you're here. We're covering a movie today that you've mentioned to me. I think you've recommended it a couple times here on High School Slumber Party, but we've never covered it. I don't know. Introduce yourself any way you want, because let's get into it. I know you like this movie a lot. (laughs) That's right. Uh, I am the superintendent, Michael Manzi, now. Yeah, I'm here at the end of the world, 
uh, you know, one of the last survivors, a I am legend, if you will. <laughs> but, you know, here we are uh, together at the end of the world, Brian. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good to be here with you. Now, you've been selecting some movies for our summer in hopes that we can, you know, you've been helping me out in hopes that High School Slumber Party can get on the fall schedule and we can graduate and, yes. I don't know, just continue the show somehow. I'll tell you what, I don't know why you didn't save this movie for Christmas. I did not realize this was a Christmas movie. You know, it's funny you say that because I forget every time I watch this movie <laughs> it's a Christmas movie. However, you know, this summer we're sort of doing something a little different where it's like they're high school kids, maybe out of high school situations, you know, but still, you know, I felt that this would be a good summer film to fill up the block because I figured by uh, by the time we roll around to Christmas, there'll actually be some kind of Christmas uh, movie that takes place within the halls of high school. So, you know, also, I didn't want to wait anymore. Maybe that's <laughs> And I think that's what I'm learning by doing this show, like, curtain back, like, Stop waiting for things and just cover the movies you want to cover. So I'm glad right. I'm glad we got to uh, do Night of the Comet today. So I, I was curious about this one. What is your history with Night of the Comet? Yeah, so I go pretty far back, I guess, with this movie. This is another one I saw like around the age of 13 when uh, I like had my own TV in my room. I had access to like stars and encore and HBO and, and everything. And I would stay up late and, and just watch movies. And I remember when this came on that I'd, I had heard of this movie or I'd at least seen the box cover at the VHS store, but I had never known exactly what it was. And it tells you exactly like in the first five minutes, um, you know, the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs is coming back around and doing a flyby of Earth. And I was like, oh, I got to see what this is all about. Uh, so I sat there, my eyes glued to the screen for the first time, watching it all the way through. And it was terrific. I loved, I had already seen like Night of the Living Dead. I think I had already seen the Vincent Price I Am Legend by this point. So and had tons of Twilight Zones. So I was really into the vibe of like apocalyptic <laughs> settings. But I also very much like that this one dealt with what if it was two teenagers at the end of the world? Not only that, but like two siblings. Not only that, two sisters. But not only that, two valley girls, right? So it was just like such a fun, interesting, scary mix of genre that I really took to it. And it's been one of my favorite movies ever since. I've rewatched this movie very often. So I'm very happy to talk about it. Yeah, it has a lot of the ingredients that I've seen you like in films. So mm. while watching it, I wasn't surprised uh, that this was one of your favorites here. So I have no history with this except for you mentioning it a couple times. So was happy to finally watch it and did find a picture of a back of the VHS. So if you out there are not familiar with Night of the Comet, here's what at least the VHS says about it. Night of the Comet. It is late December, but this year the world population has more on its collective mind than the coming holidays. Scientists have forecast the coming of an incredibly intense and powerful comet. The world is prepared to witness the most significant meteorological event in millions of years. 
In America, celebrations are planned from coast to coast on a scale that'll make New Year's Eve in Times Square and the 4th of July look pale by comparison. Anticipation is at fever pitch. What no one knows, however, is that the last time this comet came, the dinosaurs disappeared. This time, it'll be much more intense. <laughs> Interesting back of the VHS, it definitely sells it as a thriller. It doesn't really give away a lot of like the teen elements, the Valley Girl elements. None of the characters are mentioned. It's all about the comet on the back of that VHS. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. They bury, they sort of bury all of that with um, just, you know, the conceit. Like all, all they probably sold it on was that the idea, like, yeah, that there was a comet that, wiped, you know, I always learned that the comet that wiped out the dinosaurs crashed into the planet. Like it wasn't a comet, it was an asteroid, but, or, you know, meteor, whatever. But uh, I like the, the idea here that it was just sort of and and this made me think of like Haley's comet maybe that mm-hmm. was sort of an inspiration for this also which i remember seeing Haley's comet as a kid is that like no it was like a comet and sort of like whatever was in the tail the radiation like killed off the dinosaurs and like that's what's going to happen again this time and i also just love the whole sort of frenzy the media frenzy like it reminds me very much of like we are the world or or that kind of the hands across america like there was a lot of that shit going on in the 80s as well it really captured that vibe to me well i'm jealous you got to see haley's comet i (laughs) was born a year after haley's comet so hoping i'll make it to 2061 yes (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool interesting background on this film there wasn't much online but it's written and directed by someone named Tom Eberhardt. Now, you kind of mentioned like how it was sold. The production company actually saw this as literally Valley Girl meets Repo Man. That was the oh. idea they had. Both were like successful mm-hmm. cult movies right before this, and they thought that they could sort of, you know, do something in the in that vein. And yeah. I've, of course, we've covered Valley Girl on High School Slumber Party. I've actually never seen Repo Man, but I get you know what it's sort of about so uh does that check does that uh make sense to you uh yeah pretty close like that's that's a good call like i do feel that repo man vibe there's a very sort of something is off with the world kind of feeling in that movie and like no one really knows what it is but the you know and also just kind of similar concepts in the sense of like society is like the walking dead that kind of thing you know like would anyone really notice the difference if we woke up tomorrow and everyone was a zombie like that was really big going on i feel like a lot of that is sort of dealt with here it's like well let's go shopping (laughs) you know that sort of thing and in repo man there's a lot of just yeah people sort of complaining about everyday life sort of things and not wanting to be a zombie so but yeah it's it's not like that is a i mean I don't want to spoil Repo Man, but it's it's similar. It's it's a sci-fi gotcha. film, and it's like a noirish sort of sci-fi film. But yeah, I I was listening to the audio commentary of this, and Tom Eberhard really goes hard with the Valley Girl connections. Like he loved that movie. He there's there's a poster in this movie. There's a soundtrack, a record of Valley Girl in this movie. He really wanted to sort of not that this is like a spiritual sequel or something but some sort of successor to the idea of like let's do valley girl but like you know at the end of the world and i think that was a great kind of 
direction or whatever, something to like confine himself, you know, like I think he did a good job of sticking to that and really exploring that more than just as a joke or anything. Like, I think he really gets to the bottom of a couple things here. We might not have time to explore in depth, but like sibling rivalry and sisterhood and, you know, things along that line as well. And to show that like these, these women are not shallow Valley girls in the sense of stereotypes and stuff that there is like, beneath the surface sort of value going on here um, on display in this movie. You know, these girls could take care of themselves. You know, daddy always promised us Uzis, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool that the there was commentary to this because, like I said, there wasn't a lot of information. So correct me if I'm wrong about anything or feel free to add color to it. But the one thing I did read was that Tom, Tom Eberhardt, he apparently was like a documentary filmmaker with PBS. And he interviewed a lot of kids and and teens just in his work and sort of realized that a lot of the teens that we were seeing on screen were like not depicted realistically and he really wanted his women characters here to be depicted yes like as valley girls but in a more realistic fashion i suppose in research for the film Around the same time, he talked to a lot of teenagers, especially teenage women, and said, like, if the world were to end tomorrow, but you survived, what would you do? So he took a lot of that research into making this script. Um, did you see any of his other work, and were you familiar with some of it? I was familiar with, like, two of his other projects. Yeah, definitely familiar with the Keanu Reeves classic, The Night Before, that oh, he directs. I, I didn't even notice that one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, the, the fantastic Captain Ron. Uh, Captain Ron. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, I see he also directed. But uh, aside from that, I, I don't know the rest of these titles. He did he did something with John, Joe Montaigne. That looks interesting. <laughs> One of them I saw on his IMDb was a TV movie that's called I Was a Teenage Faust. Like a Faustian <laughs> bargain. And like, if you I look at the poster... It's uh, very interesting. Halloween. <laughs> but yeah, not the most known director, but this is definitely like a passion project of his. Um, by the way, the working title was Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies. Wow. You know, the Turtles debuted in 84, so that is jumping right on the back of even, I would say that's like hitting the wave before it even yeah, you know, right? rests. Yeah, that's, wow. Very that, cool. <laughs> that might have changed Turtles history forever. <laughs> well, it's just weird that like in 84, not I just feel like I, even I was young, I didn't know the Turtles till the, the, the next year with the cartoon and stuff. But like in 84, like if you weren't going to the comic shop, I feel like you didn't know about Turtles. So someone on the production must have like had that comic or something mm. and been like, oh, or maybe he did. Maybe, maybe Tom Eberhardt did. But that's curious. <laughs> Uh, two other things that I want to mention production-wise before we talk about the cast. It made $14 million, which doesn't sound like a lot today, but it was against a 700 k budget. So this was not like a flop by any means. That's pretty It's pretty good. Yeah, you might... You might find by the download numbers that this is a really popular movie. Like, I don't even, I wouldn't call it a cult classic. I would just call it like a classic at this point. You know, I feel like it gets, like, you mentioned this name in the, you know, 
what are, like on my Twitter feed and everybody's seen it, I think, you know, like all of the people, all the, the horror and sci-fi and shutter people that I follow and follow back and stuff like, yeah, I feel like this movie is really sort of well regarded within the entire community, horror and sci-fi. Well, it certainly was by Josh Whedon because he cited this as one of the main influences for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and particularly the Buffy character. So, I mean, say what you want about him, obviously, but no one can deny the impact that Buffy the Vampire Slayer has had on the modern world, right? And to think that this is one of its main influences, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense considering he kind of ripped Buffy right from this movie. I mean, you know, (laughs) Sam in this movie, the Kelly Maroney character, is wearing the cheerleading uniform the entire movie, uh, which she's in because she played a cheerleader in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So she's like not the same character, but she's kind of like wink wink and Buffy is like was sort of sold right as like the the cheerleading vampire slayer in at least the Christy Swanson film so geez Joss Whedon (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned some names already so let's get into the cast I do want to start though with Catherine Mary Stewart who plays Reggie here oh yeah Weekend at Bernie's that's what I knew her from but Mike I, I'm, I'm going to tangentially blow your mind, because actually this blew my mind, right? So mm-hmm. bear with me, because this is one of those like brothers, cousins, nephews things. But okay. my, my brother's partner, and I don't know how this came up, but he, he mentioned to me that one of his best friend's mom is this lady. No. So like he knew her growing up, he still knows her today. If that was the case, and I was their age, I would have been crushing on her in high school for sure, because I thought she was so hot in Weekend at Bernie's like growing up because I loved Weekend at Bernie's growing up still do actually but I'm like that is so so cool I'm like if you see her again mention High School Slumber Party I'd love to have her on the show but yeah I I love Catherine Mary Stewart and I hadn't seen this movie now I love her even more (laughs) that is fantastic yeah try and get me an autograph if you can like I'm blown away that would be right up on my wall i love her from so much other stuff like she is a staple of the 80s to me even though she hasn't been in all that many movies but you mentioned weekend at bernie's we mentioned previously on this show recently i think on the space camp episode the last starfighter uh she is in that as well that i know her from very well and also the horror rock opera i'm not sure the apple she's in the apple which is a very notorious rock opera everyone get your bim marks Uh, anyway (laughs) yeah i absolutely love her uh and everything that she's in i think that she is amazing in this role too you know there's just some sort of great balance of like assuredness but also like She's also, she's not like too hard, you know, like she's got a soft side, but it's not like a weak side and she's hard, but she's not like, I don't know. There's something like really great about the way that she plays Reg in this movie. I love how, (laughs) how annoyed she gets with like the high scores. Like that is just like such a great detail really early on in the movie to give sort of like a corner of her personality you know uh she's like an overachiever to a degree she sort of has to learn to like let go of some of that throughout the film and like trust her sister uh, it's really cool i really love her and everything i've seen her in and we'll talk more about her character because i'm fascinated with the character but you also mentioned kelly maroney yeah she was a cheerleader in fast times she's also in the movie that i haven't seen but 
A lot of people have recommended it to me. Chopping Mall. Terrific. Yeah, I love Chopping Mall. So yeah, awesome job. I love the sister dynamic here. You're so right about that, Mike. Like, we get two sisters who are similar but different and navigating this post-apocalyptic world together. One thing I want to note about the Valley Girl thing, yes, they are Valley Girls, but it doesn't hit it in like a clueless kind of way right like like it's they're not like huge huge stereotypes maybe that stereotype wasn't developed yet they both feel real i know they're heightened a little bit but they both feel real to me i think the angle of valley girl he was going for is like these are just girls from the valley you know but they don't all sound like zappa's daughter yeah (laughs) yeah that's i think what they were sort of more so going for is to kind of like crack that very fresh and new stereotype but also like you know that's not it's unfair you know like it, i think that might have been from my point of view what they were sort of going for with the valley girl kind of thing is like the anti-valley girl almost or something like that yeah because it, it wasn't like oh my gosh well i killed the zombie you know what i mean it wasn't like no no that. i could I could totally see like the girl cage dates in Valley Girl surviving like with them, but not <laughs> not every not all of her friends, right? Like, yeah, like that's <laughs> so like I'm glad this movie isn't about a bunch of like sort of hapless people. At the I've, there's enough of that. They have also sort of concocted a great backstory for why they are so capable at taking care of themselves too. Is that their father's in the military? So yeah, like, he's a Green Beret, I believe. Like he served in Vietnam, and then he's he keeps getting shipped out on missions. The uh, stepmom mentions like, I hope he doesn't get killed by a Sandinista. You know? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like most movies, I feel wouldn't even drop that detail, let alone sort of use it as a runner throughout the movie like they even take target practice and do things like that you know and like bring that back up towards the end like yeah don't worry we could like we could take care of ourselves and all that and then um a couple other people i wanted to mention but next would have to be uh the hector character robert beltran first of all awesome seeing like a latin character in a movie in this era because i never see it (laughs) you know yeah yeah and he's also, and this is important because I read this in the IMDb trivia. I'm not sure if the director mentioned it in the, probably not honestly, but in the commentary. He initially was reluctant to play the role because it was a, originally written as, quote unquote, a cholo character. Hmm. And he's definitely not that in the film. Right. I guess they rewrote it for him and they were like, no, 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 you can just be a normal guy now. And that's what I like about it too. Like, yeah, he's a Latin character, but he's not a stereotype at all. He's just a dude you know Uh, yeah and he's pretty cool yeah yeah i love this actor like i i know him primarily from star trek voyager Mm. where he he plays um i see chakotay or something like that yeah something like that um and and i also know him from a movie with one of his co-stars from this movie uh mary waronov uh, eating Raul. He's in Eating Raul as well, which I've, I've always wanted what? to do on Kyle's podcast because it's about cannibalism. Oh. <laughs> but he is the titular Raul in that movie. I think that was his first film. And uh, yeah, I, I love him too. Like, I love the fact that he's just a guy. Like, it, it that also reminds me of like Night of the Living Dead, right? Where the lead in that Romero just cast the best actor happened to be a black guy. And it, 
sort of became all this social commentary for the better, you know, but he just sort of tripped into that. Like they were just looking for the best actor to perform the role and everything. And it, um, it just became elevated due to that. And then not that this is an elevated horror movie. Like there's, this is very midnight movie, very sort of drive in esque and all, but it is nice to see that it's, he's just a guy, you know, playing a part, you know, he's a trucker. He's very concerned about, Every like he's a nice guy, like he's you know he's not a villainous person, and it's refreshing to see that in movies, and it just gives me a little sort of it reminds me of Night of the Living Dead in that way where it's like oh yeah he just he happens he happens to be you know different nationality. I love your comparisons to the Romero stuff too because I got a lot of not necessarily like the way zombies are, but any Romero that I've watched through mostly your show and just you know in the background like. It feels a little bit more grounded, which, again, I was surprised watching this movie because I thought this was not going to be grounded at all. You know, I thought it was going to be really silly stuff here. Because if you think about the premise, two valley girls, a comet passes by. It it starts with, like, a silly song montage, sort of, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, there is... There is camp there, you know, this is a campy film, but what surprises me every time I watch it and why I keep watching it and I love it so much is that it's not afraid to just like kind of stop and rest and like characters start sort of talking about their feelings, you know, and like what they're worried about and like how they're going to, you know, make it and like they don't, you know, they're all strangers for the most part. So there's this like level of gaining each other's trust and you know it goes through those the motions like it doesn't just kind of like i guess going through the motions is a bad way to like it just go it doesn't just go through the motions like this is what i'm saying like it takes its time to actually explore these people as characters throughout the movie and yes there is like a um very sci-fi plot about like scientists who've tried to predict this and are after them and then yeah there are killer ghouls like running around also but none of it feels like exploitive, you know, like that was what surprised me. Like it's not, it, I wouldn't classify it as like in that area of exploitation um, because they're not just these Valley girls getting picked off by mutant zombies the entire movie. No, not at all. Like most of the kills happen because of the comet. We don't see it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's just like kind of a film of survival. It's, it's super interesting that way. You know, even closer to a Mad Max sometimes than not and not fewer yeah. road Mad Max. I mean, like the earlier ones, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and like those, um, you know, Richard Matheson inspired, like I Am Legend, like even the Will Smith one. You know, like those have always been about exploring the character of the last man, like what he's going through. You know, what's his motivations? What makes him tick? Like all the things that you know you you know, that fleshes out a person. So like, it's sort of in the vein of the trope in my mind, right? Like it's, it's sort of a successor to those movies in the way Predator is to the most dangerous game. Yeah. Right. It's like (laughs) the way like Rear Window and Fright Night are like, yeah, (laughs) pretty much the same movie. Um, A couple other cast people wanted to mention, uh, you mentioned her already, Mary Waranov. So you were familiar with her. She plays, uh, Audrey White in here. Yeah, I I know her mostly through Roger Corman, sort of the Roger Corman camp. 
she's like one of I feel like his featured players or something and and she also went on to do a lot of work with Paul Bartel who they were creative partners I guess I think their entire lives she's in so much stuff I love Brian we gotta still do rock and roll high school oh yeah she's the principal in that so (laughs) it's amazing oh I didn't know that Tons of tons of things, you know. She'll she'll pop up in in big roles, small roles, cameos. Yeah, I I, I always love her. Yeah, I didn't realize she was like a Corman actor or whatever, but she definitely feels like she's in that world, right? Like she's from that world. Even that the whole side plot of these scientists feel more pulled out of those kind of movies than the movie I'm watching, and not necessarily in a bad way. But she definitely she's a really strong and awesome character. I'm drawn into her as soon as she goes on screen. Like everyone else, I really could care less about in that science place, except for her. Did want to mention the mom because we or the stepmom, I should say, because we brought her up. Because I'm like, where do I know her from? And it's another movie we covered on here because she's uh, the mother, Cindy's mother, in Can't Buy Me Love. Did you catch that? Oh wow, I did not pick up on that. That's that's a good one. I bet if we go back and listen to that episode, you can hear me say, she's in Night of the Comet. <laughs> that wouldn't shock me. <laughs> she's a great character, too, because she's just like, she's like banging the neighbor. She she married this guy who ships off, and she's just yeah, that's terrible stepmom. That's such an interesting dynamic uh, in this movie, you know, that uh, the, uh, the concept that the sisters are living with the stepmom while the dad is away, like, like I just love that. Like this, this, like no offense to the director, but like if only it was a woman. Like it is so close to sort of like that slumber party massacre kind of, you know, everything done with a female touch. Like even the writing, the directing, et cetera, et cetera. But like this guy, you know, he he must have daughters. I don't know <laughs> because um, he's one of the few that really tapped into how it must be because. Yeah, it just this all just feels like authentic and fun, sort of you know, and interesting stuff. Like, because you still don't really see this that often. The the idea of like all this blended family stuff going awry necessarily. You know, it always seems to be like you know how positive the Brady Bunch is and all that kind of thing. But sometimes this has like the evil stepmother from Cinderella in it, and like that's really fun, sort of like addition. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Um, So Jeffrey Lewis plays Dr. Carter, and I only knew him because I was... He's in a ton of stuff, but I knew him because I was recently Wikipedia... Wikipedia... Wikiing, I guess? Wikiing Juliet Lewis, and that's her father, and that's all I really really know about him. Were you familiar (laughs) with him? Oh, yeah, just as a character actor in like a billion things, though, you know, uh, another one of those guys you just like throw a rock and he's been in that movie but um you know a couple a couple formidable ones from when i was a kid like double impact (laughs) was a good one with van damme oh yeah Uh, that movie oh funny enough he was in a paul bartell movie lust in the dust the western that he made so that's sort of another semi connection to this movie um yeah lawnmower man tango and cash uh tons and tons of westerns uh, lots and lots of horror, so uh, always fun to see him pop up. And then another person who you know I recognize the face, and then did my deep dive. I'm like, oh duh, is uh, Michael Bowen is in this film. 
did you catch him? He is in an actor from Lost, but also he's like the D bag in Valley Girl, or one of the like douchebags who like you know is not Nicolas Cage, one of the Valley guys, if you will. Oh, I didn't even put that together. I can totally, I totally see him now. That's wild. All the times I watched this movie, I never like really dove into IMDb. Everybody, you know, it's a, and he's not like exactly that recognizable. Oh wait, he? Well, no, he's the he's her boyfriend in the beginning, right? Yeah. The projection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know why I never like put that together that he's the same guy from Valley. That's such a wow. That's a that's a crossover connection. I'm I'm gonna say he's the same character. I mean, it, it, he is, but he isn't because like. Well, he learned his lesson. Right after he lost the girl, he got his ass kicked. <laughs> uh, the projection guy, in case we don't talk about him, he's like the 80s version of the Letterboxd guy, right? Like someone who re- who's oh my re- God. really into Letterboxd. So I, I, didn't, I don't see the Valley Girl character being as much of a film nerd as this guy is. But he's like a cool guy film nerd, you know? He's like, gets the ladies, and he's the projectionist in the room. But he reminded me of a lot of people we know. And I'm not dissing those people, but like... I feel like I know yeah. a lot of people who would want this projectionist job and to collect these kind of prints and, yeah. you know, <laughs> swap meet them, that's, essentially. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's on the phone. Like, for, he's not in the movie long, and the time he spends is usually, like, on the phone, like, haggling for prints and, like, yeah, some kind of coming to pick up a print of this, that, and he's like, All right, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty apt comparison, Brian. Uh, was there anyone else in the film that you recognized? No, not not necessarily. Not that I could, uh, not that I can remember. Yeah, me either. I mean, like this was even the people I recognized was a stretch. Like, there's no A-lister in this in this film, but that kind of makes it better. I like when these films don't have an A-lister. You know, I think it was also like they were trying to sell it more on like Kelly Maroney and Catherine Mary Stewart. You know, maybe or or just the 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 premise. You know, the idea of. Um, you know, this comet came to Earth and wiped out most of the people. So it didn't really need a lot of star power, if you catch my drift. You know, I feel like this this blends really well with, like, any Nightmare on Elm Street double feature or anything like that that was out at the time. The, the crowd was kind of there, which is the weird thing to think about at the time. I almost feel like this this couldn't not be accepted on some level you know like the horror and stuff like that was really starting to boom teen movies were really booming and like this just kind of felt like peanut butter and jelly at the time to me that totally totally makes sense um what intrigued me so much about this movie early on again was the character of reggie and just frankly like i've watched a lot of these horror sci-fi sort of things a lot of them by your prompting mike and that's not a bad thing but like again it wasn't a genre that i was too familiar with and usually the character who's like just sleeping with guys for fun gets killed or like they show us that like this is supposed to be a bad person and i never got that and it was so just awesome and refreshing that like reggie just sort of lives her life and she's not depicted as like a dumb bimbo either like you mentioned she's really smart she kicks ass, and she fucks, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> yeah, and she's never once depicted as, like, being easy, right? Like, which no. I think was, like, a big thing in around that time, you know? And 
Yeah, you're so right. She just has like, she's so self-assured, maybe a little too much at, at some points early on uh, that she thinks she knows everything, but like she can, you know, she, she's not afraid of her boyfriend or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like she knows he's kind of a schmuck, but like, she's just having fun and she's a teenager and she's at work and like, yeah, she's independent and, and revels in being able to be independent. And what I also love about these characters is like, they know there's themselves already well i feel like reg more than sam but by the end of the movie like they really like like themselves you know what i'm saying like i feel like to start they each think that they're cool with who they are but find out that like they got a little work to do and they need each other to kind of like help them do it and then by the end they kind of help each other be like who they want to be right like not to jump to the end or anything but you know, did you ever think Reg would have like a family with kids or anything like that, or that she would let her sister just sort of like do whatever she wanted, or that her sister would sort of not need or feel like she needs the protection of Reg around her all the time and that she could just go out into the world on her own. So I feel like, yeah, these characters get fleshed out and they change and grow. And that's what's kind of so cool about them. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Again, I love both these girls. Um, just early on in my notes too, just because I, I didn't want to forget this because we already mentioned the stepmom. How the stepmom just punches one of the girls. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! So, so like, that's something though. Also, you see with guys in movies all the time, right? So I love how this movie also is just like, well, you know, boys fight with their father, you know, and like the kid might try and stand up to his dad and like punch him in the arm and then dad slaps him in the face and then the boy tries to hit him and he gets hit, you know, it escalates. So it's like, again, like it's, it's almost like having Robert Beltran here, not being a stereotype, but just being an actor. It's like, yeah, you have to also show that it doesn't shy away, but showing like, yeah, everybody has these types of problems and get it, you know, like even, even mothers and daughters or mother or step stepmothers and daughters like uh, throw down from time to time <laughs> insane insane so again we already mentioned basically the premise the comet passes by kills 99 percent of the world the only people who are safe are people who have been in steel enclosures and basically bomb shelters bomb right? shelters <laughs> here or there you know so it makes sense for the scientists to be there uh for Reggie, it's the projection room that she like sleeps in with her boyfriend. That's steel plated, so she's she's rescued and saved. And it felt realistic and it felt it felt uh convenient. You know, she works at that movie theater. It makes sense. Sam's explanation though, I loved because it was hilarious. So she gets in the fight with the stepmom, she sort of runs away, and what does it say? She finds like a like a lawn uh She she hides in the like garden shed yeah yeah like a landscaping <laughs> shed that happens to be metal she's like yeah, I, I didn't know where to go so i just slept there but it's so funny because she's like a pampered cheerleader valley girl who decided to sleep in a lawn shed well, i love i love that because right out the bat she's like not afraid to go camping like you might think that she saw like my makeup will get ruined but she was like yeah i just decided to sleep in the shed that night instead of <laughs> instead of deal with that shit you know, like that sounds like a, a person who's gone camping a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It just, it, just, it was very cool. Very cool. And it made me like ask questions like who survived this? Who happened to be in steel rooms? Yeah. If this actually 
was a thing, like who would survive it? You know, it's such a it's such a luck of the draw thing too, because there's even those lines when Reg is like, "I want to see the comet," you know, and and the boyfriend's like, "You can watch it on TV tomorrow," you know, like <laughs> what's the big deal? Like that's a that's a funny sort of observation of society at the time too. It's just like it sort of it, it reminds me a little bit of someone who's like, "Why read the book when you could watch the movie?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, this is one of your favorite films. Favorite moments, scenes, what do you want to talk about? What else do you want to talk about with Night of the Comet? Oh, well, I think first and, no, not definitely not foremost, because we've been talking for like uh, 40 minutes, but like <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that really um, always gets me every time is just the look of this movie. Mm. Um, you know, once the comet passes across the planet, the rest of the film has this hazy red filter over it. And it's just such a choice um, because listening to the audio commentary, the director was like, you know, we had to use physical filters that you would like screw onto the front of the lens. This is not a digital thing. This is not a composite. This is not done post. Like they shot the movie with it coming out that way. Can so, we just, can we just pause a second for young people who are listening to realize that a filter was actually a filter, you know, like it wasn't a button you pressed on your phone, but something that you had to filter light through or filter the camera through. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify that because that's awesome. You know, yeah, it would be a tinted piece of glass, or even maybe even sometimes just like a, a sheet of contact paper, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, depending on you know what you could afford. So personally, I mean there's nothing like this. Like I had never seen like a movie before or since that looks like this movie. Um, and I think it adds just this incredible sense of unease for me where it's, I mean, red skies, like it's just so ominous. I don't know. Like it also makes me wonder at the time if it had anything to do with like communism and the red scare and you know you know watch the skies for the reds and all that kind of thing um i know there's a poster for this movie red dust in the movie theater i don't think that has any correlation but it's just so fascinating to me also in at time in comics i think in the dc universe there was something about the red the red sky during crisis on infinite earths or something but always just such a uh, such a great shorthand for something has gone wrong and is still wrong right like until this red sky goes away like nobody's safe and so it's just such a great visual cue the entire movie is just looming and even when they're just trying to get on with it it's like you know they'll cut to an empty street and it'll just be like a crosswalk and it'll just be a red sky and you're just like oh yeah like it's it's not over yet. Hundred <laughs> percent, and it's again. You're, you're so right with the look here, and it's it takes place in L.A. Obviously, they're Valley Girls, and just to see like the L.A. skyline with that over it, it's such a. I don't want to say easy because it's not necessarily easy to do a movie like this, but compared to the CGI Marvel worlds that we're used to seeing now, it's such a practical is a better word. It's a practical way to show that the world that they were in is no longer. And the new, you know, this is the new world and who the F knows how it's going to (laughs) go. And it's funny, like you just mentioned, you know, LA takes place at LA. Like, you know, this could also be some kind of metaphor for smog and that, that kind of thing going on 
too. So like, it's not like it's just a random thing. This is a very deliberate choice for several reasons to do this. It's not just like, oh, wouldn't it just be cool if the sky turned red? Uh, it's like, no, like, you know, there's a point there's several points to it you know it, it is a cool thing don't get me wrong like i would love to just you know have more red skies in films for no reason justice league leading cut uh, <laughs> but it's just it's not necessary but here it's like it take, it makes complete and total sense and it's sort of like a i don't want to say it's like new york it's a character unto itself but like it it kind of becomes like a character like the sky kind of becomes like this character because because it stands out so much as well as what I wrote down, like the three major set pieces in the film post-apocalypse. And the first one being the radio station, right? Like, so yeah. I love when they're like trying to figure out what's going on first, how how Sam is just like incomplete, not even denial. It's just like, <laughs> she's just has no idea what's gone on. You can't get anybody on the phone because everybody's gone. What? I swear to God! I just swallow my gum. There's nobody! I mean, there's nobody! All right, nobody. I'm sure. You try calling someone. Not just your pep squad, anyone. Nobody's home! Where Reggie's like explained to her, look like, you know, everyone is dead. But then when they listen to the radio and they realize that, oh, the DJ must still be alive, essentially, they go to the radio station and it's just a tape of the DJ because he wanted to go out and see the comet, which he, <laughs> which he kind of alludes to, which is great, right? I love the look of the radio station, right? Like the neon. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of the movie in here because that's where, like, Hector emerges. Um, that's where uh, the, you know, scientist people call into and eventually show up there too at some points or like they're aiming to go there what do you think of this whole radio station setup yeah i i love that concept as well because the radio station is what you depend on in a crisis for information right like in in all the movies they're like scrambling to find a television or a radio or something to turn on and get some information as to like what the fuck is happening and they turn on the radio and it's just like, hey, it's another beautiful morning here in Los Angeles. You know, nothing happened. Nothing went. Oh, did you see the comet last night? That was cool. Like, anyway, here's your rush hour mix. And like you said, like Reg is in the street, like pouring people who have turned to dust, like out of their clothes in front of her sister to like drill the point in that like everyone's dead. So to hear the hope of like someone's at the radio station, like, Oh my God. And then they get there and it's a fucking recording. Like that is kind of chilling. Like I remember as a kid being like, that made me feel kind of scared. Like that made me feel very scared actually. And uh, to have that like kind of hope taken away so quickly. And then I also love how this becomes their sort of safe house for lack of a better word for most of the movie is just so symbolic that like kids listen to the radio and now they're stuck in a radio station um but it's not fun right yeah like, we well it, it's fun a little right yeah like it, well, that's the, the thing like we can flip fast. through the records we yeah exactly that's what i meant like we'll, we'll play dj for a minute but like what's the fun if there's nobody listening exactly exactly and again i love that because like she's trying to sam is trying to sort of make the most of it and it is cool for a teenager but you hit the nail on the head if no one's listening 
It doesn't really matter. You might as well be playing records in your room. Yeah, yeah. So again, that's where we meet Hector, and he's, again, an interesting story. He's a trucker. I think we've already kind of discussed him a little bit here or there, though. He has that one little side mission where he goes to check on his mom, and he finds out that, like, yeah, no good. So he comes back quickly. But I, I think that emphasizes, you know, that what a good person he is. And, like, when he, you know, we're hoping that he makes it back in time to not rescue but just be there to help and that we just hope that they get back together at that point i feel like i just <laughs> when hector's running away you know from that little kid his neighbor that tries to eat him yeah he's checking on his moms i'm just like yeah i just want this guy to like get back he never should have left <laughs> that kind of feeling i also i was a little afraid and luckily like well, you know, we'll talk about the ending a little bit later, but I was a little afraid that A, they were sending him off just to die, or B, they were sending him off, going to make him disappear, essentially, make us forget about him, and he was just going to save the day at the end. And yeah, he helps at the end, but these girls definitely can hold their own with their, like, uh, Green Beret training. It's not him who necessarily saves the day. He just helps, which right. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, totally. The second set piece that I want to discuss here might be my favorite, and that's the uh, department store scene, right? Like, the girls are kind of talking, and it's like, do you have your credit cards? Yeah. Why? You know? Like, the world's ours now, essentially, and... <laughs> That's that's a fun concept. It's a fun novel concept. I think everyone's had that thought like if I survive the apocalypse, you know, what would I take, you know? What a uh, car would I drive or whatever, you know, what apartment or house would I live in? I love that like in the Will Smith I am legend that like he has all these like amazing paintings from the Met hung up in his house, <laughs> right? Like it's so cool. And they go into this department store, and I didn't honestly think that this was going to happen, but it turns into like a new wave horror chase, sort of, because there's like these mm-hmm. the former stock boys who own the store now, essentially, because they're the ones who survive. I assume they were in like a metal stock room when this all happened, and. It's almost like Lord of the Flies in there with them, but with like a new wave 80s twinge to it. Attention, shoppers. I trust you've got credit cards to pay for all that stuff. What's the matter? Lost something? Check with Lost and Found on the second floor. Didn't find this one. Get her, boys. Listen, you guys, we're expecting some friends here any minute. Look, you just split now, okay? And we'll tell them not to hurt you. No imagination. What do you think of this uh, whole department store shop- shopping slash almost killing spree? So this part's amazing. Like I have, I have a feeling like this is what 
a full-on exploitation version would be this the entire movie you know like they'd get to the radio station and this would happen they'd get to the mall and this would happen they'd go all the places and this would keep happening to them you know it'd be more kind of like um you know 28 hours or isn't that that is that that movie with cillian murphy um oh, one yeah. in london like the rage monsters but yeah so so what's going on brian i'm not sure if if you picked up on this it took me one or two viewings i think to fully realize that people some people stayed inside during the meteor store the during the comic passing by but they weren't protected enough and so they're slowly turning into these like monster zombie people like there was one early on that killed reg's boyfriend that she had to deal with uh he was sort of like that guy in the alley and so the stock boys were like protected, but not entirely. So they get up close and take off their sunglasses and they have kind of like zombie faces and they look like ghouls and things. Uh, and they're dressed sort of like a ska band. And I'm like, I'm loving, yeah. I'm loving every second of it. You know, this is also very much a shout out to like Dawn of the Dead, where they're trapped in a shopping mall and they go on like a shopping spree and it sort of uh, becomes human versus human not human versus zombie but human versus human in those movies so i love all of this too because it's also boys versus girls you know it becomes battle of the sexes which is uh something this movie was dealing with on a more intellectual level and now is taking it down to sort of like boys and girls you know playing tag or something you know and there's a very cool very extensive shootout you know, basically inside of Nordstrom's or something. <laughs> it's so cool, too, because, like, again, what do you associate Valley Girls most with? Shopping. Shopping, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we get that here, and it's just, like, on this different level of a shopping experience. Because what I love, too, is that it's only a day or two after the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Even though they have Green Beret training, it's not realistic that they would suddenly revert to being Furiosa, you know? Right. Like, that's years and years and years down the line. There's still going to be teenage girls who grew up in California. The juxtaposition of, like, seeing an Uzi next to high-heeled shoes and makeup and stuff is such a great image. I love it. You know, it just... It it marries these two things, survival instincts, but also the materialism that they must have growing up in this world. Yeah, and and also kind of like uh, I thought what – what, how much of a coping mechanism shopping can be and, and material Absolutely. items make us feel comfortable and things are normal and like this and that and the other. But then you're right, you have, you have the machine guns uh, sitting next to them as well. And it's just this, this beautiful sort of contrast of reality uh, all in one image. And yeah, it's, that's why I love this movie. <laughs> because you, you just, <laughs> you see a shot like that and you can just be like, oh, that's a cool shot. But like, the movie has sort of said all this time that it's trying to, you know, be more without being pretentious or ostentatious, but you know, it's not like screaming. I'm more than just like a, a drive-in movie or anything, but, but it, there is more substance here than I expect. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. And then again, the third set piece, which toward sort of brings us to the end is, once again, these scientists, and I have to say, this is my like least favorite mm. set piece here. I could have gone along 
with just like more just adventures and more like a vignette style film of, of going from here to there. I get why they did it. I don't hate it by any means, but this definitely felt like more traditional sci-fi horror, you know? Yeah. The fact that there's these like sort of, they're called, they call themselves geniuses. They're scientists. They were locked down here and they clearly made a pact to survive. They're the ones who are most aware with what's going on. And I did like the premise that they're like essentially stealing humans and often children uh, to make them into like blood banks for them so that they could survive longer. And like you, you can make them brain dead, but they're still producing blood. So that's a great um, concept, right? Like it's almost like the Matrix with the robots using humans <laughs> yeah. for like, you know, electric BTUs. But this is just like as just little blood factories or whatever. Yeah, yeah. This see, I agree that this is also my my least favorite part, but that is only because I have to pick one, I guess. And and I just sort <laughs> of wish these guys were laced throughout the movie a little more. And my my major thing at the end that I would have thought would have been cool is if the dad was somehow connected to this organization, right? Like not necessarily that the dad shows back up, but that one of the scientists recognizes like Reg's last name, and um, you know it's mentioned something about her father being involved in all of this somehow how just to add sort of maybe an extra layer of like mystery to that but what i love most about this is it's very day of the dead it's very kind of like okay we're in charge and we fucked up and not only that like we're fucked up and we're dying so we need to kind of feed on whatever is left of society just to keep ourselves going so like in day of the dead they were trying to like domesticate or use the zombies and try and train them in some form or fashion so that they could control them better and so they wouldn't be eaten by them and et cetera, et cetera. And in, and in here, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're, we're dying of this comet disease. We need all the healthy people that are left so that we could like glom off their life force and just live a little bit longer miserably underground together where <laughs> everything sucks. Um, so I just love the whole irony of that right there's like that had to be in on their creative minds while writing this is just like look at the people in charge in 1984 uh we already mentioned the sandinistas in this movie once uh i don't think they love ronald reagan but i could be wrong <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and then again yeah like talk about that if you want the most direct not necessarily reagan but just like we'll just say the people in power or whatever the leader of these scientists is like the one who's most monster-like and surviving. It is fascinating in that sense, right? And I do love uh, the woman, the one scientist who ends up essentially saving them. Mm-hmm. What, did, what did you think was the reason that she did it? I think because she realized that they screwed up and they weren't going to be able to fix anybody. And if they kept doing this, not only would they be dead, but everyone else would be dead. And like they found this pocket of civilization these these kids that actually might stand a chance and i think when when the um mary Wernoff character is like sitting there talking to sam and like they're doing the, sh- the shot and we find out that it's basically was like a placebo and like her rash was just a rash it wasn't like part of like the disease or anything like that yeah like i think that you know she was like she switched sides at that point she had had enough and she was like these assholes can't be in charge forever like i think if you know burn it all down and let like let the kids have a shot yeah there was definitely an element of like oh my god they're taking children now but also an element of kind of what you're saying too like the burn it all down aspect like sure these kids could have a shot but like 
sort of like a fuck it mentality too like just yeah is it worth it is it worth it yeah because she pretty much was the only one who from the beginning was like what are we doing like what you know she's like you know like why can't we even like wait a few days to like until the sky clears or something but then the jeffrey lewis guy is the one who who is very much you almost feel like from the beginning he always, he even knew like had ulterior motives even though we don't really get a lot of time with him um that's what i also like about using these character actors it's like you they are stereotypes you know so it's a nice kind of balance with the other characters because you don't have to focus on these scientists quite as much you can just bring whatever you have from other story about you know bad scientists whether it be like a stephen king novel or whatever and just sort of like use that and because these you know (laughs) these are the one-dimensional people for the most part and that's perfectly fine for their role absolutely i i think again if you're going to make a short sort of campy-ish movie like this get those character actors to just make the most of the time they have on screen. So in regards to the whole ending sequence, right? I love when Reggie is is actually captured here, like her attitude towards things. Mm-hmm. Um, when like the dude's asking her all these questions about her blood and like, you know, if she has any diseases. She's not defiant in a way like, fuck you, why am I here? It's not like that. It's just like, teenager defiance it felt like the tension right yeah it felt like you know um what's your name what do you need to know my name for like exactly exactly what's your blood type (laughs) why do you want my blood type like what's your blood type (laughs) yeah that's interesting like i always thought that that was a way of people trying to like reverse the power in the room you know if you like repeat the question back to somebody or try and ask them like a question about themselves instead or or, i don't know if that is like an actual but i've seen that in movies a lot where it's like you know where are you from it's like well where are you from it's like well i'm from (laughs) wait a minute i'm doing the talking here (laughs) and i think too it was just like she at that at certain points wasn't 100 percent aware about all the danger that she was in but oh yeah She's so ready once that happens, like when she smashes the guy's head, essentially. (laughs) And that's what I meant before. Like, when um, Hector returns, it's not about the rescue. By the way, I love his, like, little cowboy routine when he returns. Yeah, fantastic. She's dead. She ain't dead. See, this lady shot her up with sodium pentothal to make this fella think she was dead. (laughs) So you wouldn't suck her blood out, you asshole. It's not about the rescue. He's just sort of like the getaway car and there to help. Like the sisters, again, mm-hmm. can pretty much hold their own, especially Reggie, who just becomes like a one-person wrecking crew <laughs> inside this facility. And it's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like Hector just kind of like, this This actually is kind of a grindhouse move because like, why is he showing up as a cowboy? Like, <laughs> like only because it's surreal. Uh, and then, like, he does, like, this, like, U-turn, and then, like, out of the trunk, Samantha pops with, like, her Uzis, right? Or something, right? <laughs> like, am I mistaken? Like, um, but, like, she's in the trunk, right? Like, she pops up, and she's like, surprise. That did happen, right, Brian? Am I, am I going crazy? She does surprise. I don't remember if it was Uzis or whatever it is, but she definitely, like, kills the person who attacks her. Yeah, so I thought that was, like, a really fun sort of, like, yeah, he doesn't even... He doesn't even really, like, 
do that much. You know, he's just like the delivery. He's the getaway driver, which is which is terrific. But you know, it's funny. I think like up until the end, and even a little bit with the coda that we're gonna get the epilogue, if you will, like you know, in these sort of times when something like this happens in movies, I think this one does something better than most, and that is show these characters are still sort of like in denial about what's going on, right? Or else they wouldn't have gone shopping or else, you know, they wouldn't have like cracked wise so much or this and that. And then uh, Reg for sure, when she gets taken to the facility, like you're saying, like it dawns on her that like, this is a sort of a forever thing. And, um, you know, you better like kind of like have an attitude adjustment ultimately like i almost feel like that's what the whole movie's about is like kids need an attitude adjustment (laughs) (laughs) and it's like it's gonna take an apocalypse for that to sink in because kids are so thick-headed it's also again the early days of an apocalypse right like yes that too one of the things that i hate especially when the walking dead was like really popular every friend i had pretty much was like well this is what i would do in the apocalypse or this is my post-apocalyptic plan all I would think was, how do you know you're surviving the initial event? Mm-hmm. And why do you think you're transforming into like a, again, like a Mad Max as soon as it happens? <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm Negan now. <laughs> <laughs> this town belongs to me. You shall call me Viceroy. Like, I'm the <laughs> Viceroy of Waldwick now. <laughs> no, realistically, you'd be more like these girls. Like, you'd try to feel the situation out. But you're not going to transform overnight because of all this. Like, there's a lot of denial involved. There's a lot of still being yourself. You would try to get cool things if you could. You know, if you knew 90% of the population was dead. (laughs) Yeah. Eventually, you might turn into, like, a hardened killer or whatever. Or eventually in this, like, this is more of a positive ending. But you're still going to be wavering between what you have to become and what you just were in a couple day span. Yeah, yeah. It, that's the thing is like there's a small period where you have to sort of slack off and then you need to adjust pretty quickly in a situation like this, right? Like it's it's zombies or it's avalanche or I mean avalanche, it's like floods. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like the, it's fucking 2012 and like the planet's splitting in half and, you know, forming back together on the wrong side of each other and all that kind of thing. But like, but, but even pretty quickly, I think this is too quick for that for most of the movie. No, I, like, I think it does a good job of that, right? Because I think even The Walking Dead starts like a couple months after the apocalypse. Yeah. Right? Like it's not you wake up and it's the apocalypse. So I did like a movie that explores the earliest moments of that. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. I like that as well. I, maybe that's why I like... Night of the Living Dead itself is because it's like the night of, you know, this is, (laughs) we're all trying to figure out what the hell is going on together. uh, And like, can we survive the night? This is very cool because it's like, yeah, it it reminds me of like the 28 days later and all that, because it's like, yeah, what, what, what happens in like that first week, you know, not just the first day, but like take it past a week, two weeks, a month, like, can you even make it a month? So yeah, I did. I like that about it very much. So uh, did you like uh, just the overall ending here? Um, Kind of a badass ending, and she saves some children as well, and Mm -hmm. we get a nice little coda where 
they kind of are raising these children as a family. And we didn't mention the arcade guy. Uh, what was his initials? V something. I don't know. VDK, something like that. But Sam meets this cool dude in, in a convertible who's like around her age. And he ends up being the arcade guy, like the one who set the high score in the movie. Randomly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. DMK, right? I think it's DMK. DMK. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was just like like the longest punchline ever, right? Like <laughs> that, that joke is set up in like the first five minutes of the movie and paid off in the last minute of the movie. And I don't, according to the director, that wasn't like intentional. Like it wasn't gonna be that, but someone was like, you know, what might be kind of fun to go out on? It's like, what if he's the guy that had the high scores and like they made the license plate and it turned out, you know that's the movie now uh so like i don't think initially that was written that way but it was sort of like you know found along the way which is great i love that they did that like it's just such a again i don't want to spoil taking of the felon one two three but if you've seen that movie like the very last shot of that movie is like one of the fucking best last shots of any movie and it just ties the whole movie together you're like ah uh so like it it sort of goes for something like that where it like leaves the audience leaving on sort of a a laugh or a chuckle or like sort of like a oh yeah like a a, something dawns on them as they're leaving makes them feel good you know walk into the car yeah it's interesting um the dmk thing here i thought it had to pay off because they focused on it there. If it didn't pay off, I'd be asking, well, where the hell is DMK? I just, I figured that the, even though it didn't make sense, but like that the Hector character, I thought this was going to be DMK. Not necessarily Hector, but DMK was going to be someone who would matter more to the movie. So it was weird that it was just like this throwaway character. It makes sense that it wasn't originally planned, but. Yeah, I don't think it was like a, a, a Chekhov's sort of high score or anything like it's up there you got to use it you know like it was that's what i thought though i I, from what i remember from what i remember hearing on the audio commentary they really didn't think about it that much but it's one of those things that makes like perfect sense it's like well you gotta do it and also you know it's like i think at that point they thought you just forgot about it you know uh the tension i i believe of reg wiping out all the high scores is that like she's kind of partially a control freak like she needs to be in control of her life at least and like know that she's the best at tempest uh i think is the game that she's playing uh so you know i think the original intent was just a character moment okay and like later on evolved into a joke or a punchline it's not a it's not that it's a joke i mean but but they added a punchline to it i think a big reason why i was waiting for the dmk payoff was that you just told me about the aforementioned the last starfighter and isn't that the one with the video game that yes. the government is recruiting him in oh my god i was like are they using this plot in here too i didn't even that's so funny like the number of times i've seen both movies it didn't even put the connection together that she's playing a video game and the last starfighter focused so heavily on a video game being played <laughs> and like here she is uh that's great i mean these are you know, maybe these are just old-fashioned Easter eggs, right? Like the, the idea that she's playing a arcade machine and in another movie an arcade machine played her boyfriend. I don't know. <laughs> I was quickly looking at the IMDb and the, one of the stock boys, so one of the people, uh, like one of the killers in the 
uh, department store. His name is Chris Peterson. I just clicked it randomly. So it says Chris Peterson is an American musician, actor, and NASCAR racer. Hmm. This person lived or is still around, lives an interesting life because he's a punk rock guitarist. He's clearly an actor here and also a NASCAR racer. And he actually has an interesting IMDb. He's been, was in Platoon. Uh, he was on Baywatch for many years, it seems huh. like. Point Break. He played a character named Bunker. And Twin Peaks. Apparently he's in Twin Peaks as a character named Tommy. So, like... What? What a life! Who's this guy again? What's his name? He was one of the stock boys. Chris Peterson with a D. Okay, you're going to have to give me a second. Like, how fascinating. Oh, my goodness. I recognize him immediately from Point Break. He's at Suburbia. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Again, I'm not a big Twin Twin Peaks person, but I definitely recognize him from Firewalk With Me because we covered it on the podcast. Oh, yeah, look at that. He's at the bar. Yeah, he's at the roadhouse. Okay. (laughs) What a life this guy lived. Good for him. All right, good actor. I mean, good character actor, I guess. (laughs) So did you like the coda? God, they look like the Brady Bunch. What are you waiting for? Can I see him? We're waiting for the light to change. We do not cross against the light. That's totally stupid. There's nobody here. See? We're talking ghost town. God, I'm sorry, but you shouldn't cross against the light like that. Yeah, all right. Well, just be back by midnight, okay? Midnight? The burden of civilization is on us, okay? isn't it yeah yeah i love that i think that's you know uh, it's hopeful like you know and it also cements that this movie is kind of for the most part lighthearted. i don't want to say it's a family film but it's definitely okay for all ages for the most part you know if you're like a 10 11 and you're looking to get into sci-fi and horror i feel like this is perfectly safe for that kind of entry level viewer if you will and and the end of this like goes out on such a i don't want to say cheesy i don't want to say schmaltzy but like such a (laughs) a beat positive feel good moment like the so the idea here is that reg and hector are going to get married and they're going to raise the boy and girl that they found in the bunker with the mad scientists and they're going to start a family and they're going to be the adam and eve and Cain and Abel, I guess. I don't know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, and then Sam is like, what about me? I got nothing to do. I, I need a boyfriend and all this stuff. And she's like, look both ways before crossing street. And like, they throw their Uzis into the garbage and it's like, no more guns. We're going to be a nice, respectful people from now on. I'm like, lady, like you're 19, probably like you're 18. Um, <laughs> you know, but okay, but okay. And she's telling her sister to like, look before you cross both ways and she's like there's nobody anywhere here we're all by ourselves and like screaming around the corner comes some bro some valley bro like bill and ted's best friend in his car <laughs> and, and he's like oh I almost hit you and she's like love at first sight um and <laughs> this is just like don't stay out too late and off they go into the sunset oh one other thing i, I thought was really awesome is that it rains and it washes away yes. all the red dust. And so there, this all happens under a bright blue sky. 
So the first new day, I guess. It's so interesting, too, that I don't want to get too technical about this movie, but the rain seems to cure almost everything, but, like, this comic kills everyone and doesn't have any lingering effects. Like, uh, the, the whole thing with the dinosaurs was that, like, a meteorite hit and clouds covered everything and there was like a winter (laughs) for years right like we don't get that so it's a relatively as weird as that sounds and i can't believe i'm saying this a relatively happy ending because they essentially get to inherit the earth in a positive form obviously if there's not that many people we kind of slowed the whole global warming thing right and (laughs) i would just be afraid that they're clearly not the only ones who survive because like this guy shows up I wouldn't get rid of my guns because I'm assuming some kind of tribal warfare is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a big planet. Um, I'm sure not everybody was out stargazing that night at the giant comet that, that you know, at least somebody, some some form of government in China definitely uh, was like, get, in, get into the bunker, uh, you know, that kind of thing, right? You got to figure pockets of the world are out there. So that's a reason that I thought that the dad was actually going to come back because he's military and like right. maybe he was in a submarine, maybe he was in like an underground base, but we don't get that either. <laughs> I think it also just goes to show how cynical we've grown that we see a happy ending in a movie like this and be like, well, that can't be, that can't be, <laughs> that can't be possible. Very true. But, but I love, true. I love it. I love it because it even ends on like that sort of cheesy. It almost sounds like billy ocean or something i don't know like it's just like that yacht rock song at the end it's really nice and sort of gentle i feel like i'm waiting online for dinner with my grandparents at the diner or something and we're just you know literally just like swaying back and forth in our seats to this as we watch the credits roll um i'm not too worried about this future but we do see that there are lingering effects right like people do get turned into mutants and zombie like Thing. So I'm sure they they are out there, and there will be a bigger cleanup to be had. Uh, but for now, I, it's nice to know that you know they can relax for at least a minute. So one other thing in my notes that I wanted to mention, I'll just be quick because we already passed this scene. But I did like the visual of Reg finding the uh, blood bank in <clears throat> the secret lair or wherever they are. Right. 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 I liked seeing that. I liked her like poking around there. So just want to mention that. Uh, anything else you want to mention or should we get to our awards? Uh, yeah, let's get to awards. All right. So first award always, who was this movie made for? Oh boy. Um, just fans of genre mashups, I guess. Like what would you say this? I feel like this is, this is like a sci-fi comedy. Like I feel like there aren't that many that I could, you know, just off the tip, of my head uh think of but it's not like a full-fledged horror movie even though there's like horror elements and it's very there's very scary parts i would say this is more like a long twilight zone something more of that kind of vibe so it's it's got sort of slower moments than you might expect but it's got great acting to kind of back it up and and keep you engaged and interested and plus like it's just such a I I really love any kind of end of the world movie. Like I don't care, like how many people survived, one person, a group of people. Um, it's all good to me. So like, I love all that about it too. And I, for me, I think uh, sort of again, not to prop this guy up, but like the Joss Whedon's of the world that this is made for too. Like to say like, oh, you can have a like a female character that goes against type, 
in a genre where it goes against type, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a good, t- it's a good template for things that would come later. So yeah, or, yeah that's or, my answer. Or even some things that we didn't mention that this kind of, I don't know, orbits is stuff like alien, right? Like red, oh, good point. Reg kind of has a Ripley thing going on for, for part of the movie, at least for, from the second aliens, um, <laughs> very sort of overprotective, take charge attitude in that sense. So yeah, there's, there's, there was just like, that was starting to poke through more. So it's nice that there is a younger representation of that. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I didn't even think about Alien, but you definitely see some elements of that here. You know, Reggie is like Ripley yeah. when she's <laughs> in, especially in the, um, what's it called? What is that? The lair? The facility? I don't know what to call it. <laughs> yeah, the the hive, the nest. <laughs> the ship i don't know what <laughs> the terraforming place also i get it came out the same year i think but i get also a little bit like linda hamilton uh original terminator oh. i think that's the same year yeah yeah that's a good call too i mean this is this would definitely like carry on to t2 you know you definitely someone like reg all grown up is like linda yeah. hamilton and t2 is like sarah connor if she never went to the state facility all right, most likely to succeed. Who won the movie? What character comes out on top? Oh man, this is—it's almost like a three-way tie. <laughs> you know, um, this is a tough one. I don't think I want to answer first this time. I'm curious to see what your answer is going to be if you answer. Um, look, I'm such a Reggie fan, and mm-hmm. I'm—I'm I'm going to say Reggie here just because she does the most badass things she rescues children and gets a family at the end like okay. she essentially inherits yeah. los angeles so um, i know it's an obvious answer but that's how i feel that's cool yeah i want to i almost want to say both i almost want to say the sisters win you know like <laughs> well the stepmom's out of the picture but they that both get really. what they want you know like their their dreams have sort of been fulfilled that's like the weirdest wish fulfillment fantasy on earth <laughs> but yeah i think for the sake of of all i think i'll go with reg too you know i think I'll, I'll i'll stick with you definitely i was gonna say hector because he gets to be with reg from now on and everything like that but i don't want to give it to the dude no <laughs> exactly i don't either but i was just saying like how lucky is he um <laughs> cameron fry award does anyone look too old to be a high schooler did they look like they'd be high schoolers the two girls so look i'm not exactly sure how old Catherine Marin's Mary Stewart was. I believe it says 18 okay. at some point. So, yeah, but I knew Kelly Maroney was of age and everything. So, like, here's the thing, right? Hair and stuff like that and fashion and people just always used to look older to some degree. Reg looks <laughs> looks a little old for someone in, in my high school in the 90s, but totally normal for someone in high school in the 80s, I would think. You know, it's just, that's just fashion. And they're Valley girls. And I guess the one thing you can't take out of the Valley is the hair product, because both these sisters' hair is just off the charts in this movie. I love it. It's just so fantastic anytime you're it's kind of almost distracting at one point where it just keeps reminding you where they're from you know it's almost as if they had jersey accents and you're like all right now we, we're never gonna forget where they're from because <laughs> but yeah so like again that 80s aesthetic the teenage 80s aesthetic or like i associate almost with my own mother you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it makes me it makes me feel 
like those people look older because to me that's growing up that's what adults dressed like yeah essentially so that's a good yeah point. it is a bit of a mind fuck let's see how old she was this is 1984 right she was 25 so she's not a teenager but she's not like terribly old right you know? right it's not like Greece or anything she's not like 32 no. it's not rizzo so <laughs> yeah totally passable for the era for sure and especially looking back now and how crazy fashion how much crazier it looks at a distance um i i buy it no questions asked wooderson award is there a character in the film that you would have liked to have seen more of um so probably the the mary Woronov character like maybe her just sort of just a couple a scene or two more of her trying to maybe turn other scientists or or figure out another way right like just emphasize that um or or sort of foreshadow that she might make a turn right or 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 something like that later because it does feel i would like it to feel a little more natural in that sense because it's like you're not quite sure if what if she's what she's doing until until sam shows up alive you know so i wish there was just a little more of that telegraphed a little better perhaps so and I would always just love to see more of her in any movie she's in, but either her or the stepmom. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what you do with the stepmom. Like she'll kick the neighbor's dog or something on her way to her new boyfriend. <laughs> like she's a terrible person, but a great character. I think for the stepmom, and I know it's cold, but I would have liked her to almost survive. And then we see like a, we see like a gruesome death somehow, even even by the hands of the girls, maybe. Oh, that would have like been one fun. That would have been fun if she came back as like a ghoul or something. Yeah, like for them to get the pleasure in killing her, for especially um, Sam to get that like revenge for getting punched. Mm. I would have liked to have seen that. Very nice. So that's a good call. I like that. Long Tuck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Anyone you would delete? I don't think so. Right? There's there's not altogether a large cast here to begin with. So if anything, we need maybe one or two players to join the game. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, again, it's. I think this is more that you can add to rather than subtract from, so I agree with that. All right, Mike, red pen, manila card, we got to grade the film A plus to F. Obviously, it's a film you love, but you said you've been grading more as a superintendent lately, so I'm curious of your grade. Uh, a plus to F scale, but we always look at the cheat sheet first. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting scores today. 79% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. But 58% by the audience there. Whoa, I'm very surprised. Very low. Very not. I do not like you, Letterboxd, right now. Well, that was Rotten Tomatoes. Or, Letterboxd, oh, wait, Rotten Tomatoes, I'm sorry. I've never liked you, Rotten <laughs> Letterboxd, actually, 3.3 out of 5, which is a pretty decent score there, okay. as you know. It's above average, right? Like, yeah. But, Mike, A plus to F, what will you grade so... in the comment? Brian, I haven't done this in a very long time, but this movie, even though I admittedly like could not recall everything perfectly, I've seen this so many times, and yet it's funny how, even with something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I couldn't, I don't have perfect recall of that movie, uh, even though I've seen it so many times, and even though I've seen this movie so many times, that's why I love rewatching it because I always forget things about it, and I love rediscovering things and getting deeper and finding new things and all that. And I guess I'm, what I'm getting at is I'm giving it an A+. Plus. I haven't given him an A-plus out in a very long time. A-plus. And, and, wow. You know, I'm fully with. I'm fully aware that it may not earn or deserve that, but I'm the superintendent and I've been shying away from wildly 
throwing out just whatever I wanted to grade things. And tonight I want to do that. So, you know, just for myself, I'm giving this one <laughs> the highest of marks. Wow. I feel like I was giving it a high score, but you're going to be offended by my score with an A+. Plus. No. I, I gave this film a B plus because I was it was very enjoyable film. I loved watching it. Is it like one of my my favorites? No, but I could see why it's yours because these are more in line with the films you love, like that post-apocalyptic sci-fi stuff. Um, I thought, you know, I was teetering maybe on the A minus, but I'm like that's too high for a film like this. <laughs> Clearly not. B plus, but I think those are good scores of all around. Yeah, Brian, you you score it like a sane person. Um, <laughs> I've watched this movie enough to be committed, so like it's just that personal bias comes into play, and and yeah, I get really excited anytime it comes around. I just yeah, I mean, that's just my way of saying, you know, there's I can't say enough good things about it. Like it's just so much fun, and even the flaws in it are so forgivable and so much fun anyway and you know we didn't one one quick thing i'd like to mention before we get out of here i know we have a couple more segments to wrap up on but like we didn't mention how gorgeous the empty space photography i don't really know the empty city i don't know how else to really describe it but like there's a lot of movies that take place in empty cities but this one looks beautiful okay like oh yeah whatever angles they sh- they chose the compositions etc cetera, etc cetera, like very high caliber cinematography here uh on display as well so like yeah man i mean it just for me it hit me at the right age and it stayed with me my whole life and i, I love that i could always revisit it i actually have a question for you okay so i don't know if you've seen it but there's like there's like these lisa simpson memes where she's like pointing at the chalkboard and it'll say like something mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, yeah almost almost similar to the guy sitting at the table that we're like si- sipping the coffee cup and it's just like prove me wrong right or whatever it is right <laughs> right but but i saw a lisa simpson one like last week and this is one i think i've seen before but it's like instead of remaking classic movies why don't they remake underappreciated movies so that a new generation could appreciate a great idea that like, again i'm adding words to this because I couldn't find the meme, but like a new generation could appreciate, you know, an idea that maybe they don't know about these days, right? Like yeah. again, don't know what Lisa Simpson said, but um, this to me qualifies as that, right? I think this is a great story, a great mm. concept. Only a seven hundred thousand dollar budget. It might be sacrilegious to you, but I don't think most people, especially most young people, know Night of the Comet. So. Yeah. Is this something that you feel like is primed for a well-made remake, or would that just piss you off? So, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk about that. Not recently, but, like, over the last, you know, a couple of years ago, there was chatter that that was happening. And and, oh. I, and I was down with that, and they were going to find a female writer-director and, and, you know, do, do it that way. And that sounded very interesting. You know, I would love to see what a more modern take on this would be like you know and you don't even need to keep it in los angeles in the valley it's night of the comet not night of the comet in la you know so there is a lot more to explore not just in this world but like you know they keep making i am legend every 10 years so what the hell (laughs) like look like at this point in my life very few things are sacred to me um (laughs) and uh i i just think the you know the more exposure it'll 
get, the more it'll give to the original, and people will be able to have a favorite, and they'll find this one and say, oh, there was an original one, we have to go watch that, and then maybe that'll be the one they like more, you know, so it could be a gateway. So, yeah, I've given up, not given up is, is the wrong way to put it, but, like, it just doesn't bother me anymore. It's it's out of my control, and it's like, oh, if I want that to stop, I should go be the head of a movie studio or something or write my own movies about it and things like that. But like, no, I'm, I would be way open to that. I mean, fucking a man nowadays, make it a series on Netflix. Okay. Famous last words that we always say on a show. <laughs> it's something we like enough that we think has legs, like make it a show. Like, I think they've wanted to do sort of like an Omega man show for a long time. And just, you know, they tried with why the last man and no one watched it. So, who knows? This could be that. Yeah, that's a really good call. I like the show idea, which I often do, as you know. that. So I'm glad you're open to that, because I definitely would be too. But again, this isn't as much of a treasure to me as it is to you, since you know, I didn't have it as part of my childhood, so I was curious. But Yeah. <laughs> you know, Brian, when, when you live through things like Jaws the Revenge and, <laughs> and Superman Quest for Peace, you're just like, fuck it, Jen. Just like, whatever. Like, eventually they'll make a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, Mike, you and I are at this Night of the Comet slumber party yeah you show up to my door you're ready to have this sleepover even though you're the superintendent and that dynamic is weird but whatever we're gonna ignore that and you've brought a custom night of the comet sleeping bag what does this sleeping bag look like oh i have didn't i oh man that's right um i forgot i went and got that but it (laughs) um it is a Hmm, what does it look like? Um, I would have to say maybe it's... Okay, it's got to be maybe the cheerleading uniform of this high school that she's wearing. (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to think of like um, iconic imagery from the film. You know, something that you could look at immediately and be like, oh, that was in the film. So that would be kind of weird maybe for a guy to have, (laughs) but like it could be fun if it was a collector's item. Yeah, I kind of struggled with this one, too. I mean, this is a film with a lot of imagery, but I didn't just want, like, a red-filtered sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of something that... uh, I was thinking of something that you you sort of described in terms of just, like, the empty cityscapes with the Mm, red filter. Like, I thought that would be just, like, an interesting look. So, yeah, I, I guess I'll go with that. I also thought maybe, like, a Green Beret sleeping bag would look cool. I only wish that we saw the sleeping bag if if her sister slept in one in the shed, if she was like, yeah, I slept in the green <laughs> sleeping bag, and then I could say, oh, I'll bring a green sleeping bag. Maybe the shed is my sleeping bag. There you go. Yeah, it's going to oh, be a, a, uh, actually, a... scratch all that. Huh. Scratch all that. Yes. I think you're, you and I are on the right page, though, because I kind of am hearing what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just going to make a steel plate yep, sleep. I was just going to say that I'm bringing, like, a box made of steel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to it eventually. <laughs> At the same time, no less. All right, Mike, you and I were in the magical blockbuster as every film has ever existed. Since you've recommended this one before, I'm very curious about what your recommendations are going to be today. But we know we're renting Night of the Comet, and we see a sign at the counter. It says, rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Mike, I'll hold our place in line. You go to the back. Pick the two other movies that we'll watch for our triple feature, our Night of the Comet triple feature. 
Okay, so I might be actually pulling an audible here at the last second. Um, I know. Because I sort of had a theme going, but then I was like, I don't know. Now I want to recommend three movies. And you know what? I think I'm going to stick with my original. Okay, here's what we're doing. I wish I could be a little more creative and pick movies that people might not have heard of and like pull something out of my ass like I usually try to do. And everyone goes, oh my God, Mike knows these movies i've never even heard of but like not tonight unfortunately <laughs> i just want you're, you're no you're no austin wolf southern exactly i i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna try and stick a little more on brand with the with the theme going on here so the first movie i have to recommend which we talked about a lot as we talked about this is valley girl itself i think that in this would be a good start to a triple feature you know, you sort of get uh, the valley before and then the valley after, the valley of life and the valley of doom. Um, <laughs> you see how how they react in, in both. I like it. You get some Nick Cage for your evening. You know, uh, you know, nothing can go wrong. So Valley Girls, the first movie. And the second movie I actually just mentioned, I didn't mean to let the cat out of the bag so soon, but, you know, they've remade this movie over and over again under several different titles. One of my more recent favorite versions that used to be my least favorite version, but I've seen it recently and it's a lot of fun. I've forgotten how much how crazy this movie is, but it's uh, Charlton Heston as the Omega Man, and the Omega, oh. the Omega Man is a 1971 remake of The Last Man on Earth, aka I Am Legend, but it stars big brawly badass. Republican gun clutcher uh, <laughs> Charlton Heston. I mean, this was all I think pre-NRA stuff and 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 all that. But he did a series of sci-fi movies. He did Planet of the Apes. He did The Omega Man, and he did Soylent Green. And they're three of my favorite movies of all time. But and I don't really like Charlton Heston, but I love him in these movies, and I love these movies. Uh, so the Omega. You Man. don't okay. Look, sorry, <laughs> I, I have to ask. Okay, you don't like Charlton Heston as the actor. I he's Planet of the Apes. That's one of no, your favorite I, movies. I, I like him in these movies that I I love him in Planet of the Apes, but I don't really love like the a, NRA thing. I've not done. even that. No, I don't love his. I don't really love his acting style. I think it works. Oh. I think it works in these movies because he's playing kind of. A forgotten man like a throwback like in this movie he's definitely like he's the last man on earth so it's like oh look how look at all of his flaws and like look at all the stuff he does wrong and like you know so it's sort of like you know he's like degrading himself a little bit as an actor in this movie i get the, and then in planet of the apes i mean you know taylor is just like one of the best written characters i've ever seen or heard in my life so it's more the role less the inhabitor if you catch my drift and you know Charlton Heston's fine and everything else, Moses and all that, but I, I, I never really took to him. It's, it was always sort of felt like a phenomenon to me. Like I never really took to him in his other work, but these three sci-fi movies just like knocks him out of the park. So Omega Man. So recap that again. It's Omega Man, and obviously the, Night mm-hmm. of the Comet, and what's the third? And, and Valley Girl. Oh, Valley Girl, duh, duh. Okay, Mike, so I have some recommendations that I want to give because... To be honest with you, I haven't seen these two other movies, but I know, I think you've recommended one of them, and I think someone else has mentioned the other one to me. And when I was watching this movie, it made me want to watch these two other films. I like this. That I haven't seen that people had recommended in the past. 
whether it was on or off air. I know it's a long explanation, but the first one is Solar Babies. Had you recommended that one? I think I did. I think that was for when we did the Corey Roller Boy movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I believe that's sort of like a post-apocalyptic it is. 80s it is. flick, right? It's very inspired. It's Mad Max, but with kids on rollerblades. Uh, it's like, yeah, they're searching for water in the desert, but they're also playing hockey. <laughs> field hockey at <laughs> that yeah so there you go post-apocalyptic kids and i don't know why I, I guess i remembered you recommending it i'm like oh i need to watch that and the other film the other film i know is more campy but it's also i believe with valley girls and it is earth girls are easy have you seen this one? Oh my god i haven't <laughs> seen that in forever that's is that the one with gina davis and yes. Julie Brown. Jeff Goldblum's in it. I Jeff know that. Goldblum, Again, Damon Wayans and Jim Carrey. Holy mackerel. I've never seen it. It's been on my list for years. But I know, like, uh, Gina Davis is a valley girl and it has to do more with aliens, but it's like a similar thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah, valley yeah. girl in a not so valley girl situation. Oh my God. Remarkable picks tonight, Brian, if I just may say. <laughs> Had to put those up there. I've been picking more and more myself, too. So uh, why not? Why not? So, yeah, Mike, this was fun. I'm finally glad I got to watch Night of the Comet. We got to talk about it. It was a really fun movie to talk about. Appreciate you taking the time and appreciate, uh, you know, uh, helping me achieve hopeful, hopeful status on that <laughs> on that fall calendar. Well, I mean, just so you know, Brian, I might have a thing or two to uh, do with that happening. And I've been having a blast here, so I want the good times to keep on rolling and there's only one way to do that so i am i'm pushing for you i'm in your corner and uh i'm very hopeful fingers crossed but you know i feel like uh i'm feeling good man i think i think i I think it's gonna happen so i'm I'm pulling for you let's cross our fingers on that one and i appreciate i appreciate the support listeners out there slumberers you can support mike manzi by following him on social media so mike what's your social media again even though i know it it's better coming out of your mouth (laughs) sure it's at the underscore mikester on twitter uh and i'm also mikester on instagram and what are you promoting these days by the way Mm -hmm. i was uh talking to uh the godfather himself not not of course Marlon Brando Marlon Marlon Brando because he's dead (laughs) and I was not talking to Robert Robert De Niro either but I was talking to Joey Lewandowski the more like the fraternity godfather you know of this podcast network and he was telling me that the Elvis show is doing really good yeah yeah we've gotten a lot of traction because we reviewed the Baz Luhrmann Elvis film and it's led people to our reviews of the Elvis movies and that's Viva Pod Vegas and Oh, man, what was the last movie we watched? I can't remember the name of the last movie we watched. Uh, But it's out there now, and we're going to get together soon and do another one. That's all part of sort of the show of that is like, like, I'm not an Elvis fanatic. I like Elvis, you know? So, like, we do these when we can, and we get together, and Joey and I get together and do them in person. And so there's just, like, a nice, fun energy about them with that. So this this was a lot of fun. Elvis, this episode. Oh, man, I wish I could remember the name of that movie, guys. But just check it out. I've also got The Monsters That Made Us with Dan Cologne, which is the last Friday of every month, which Dan and I are going through the Universal Monster movies, the original oldies, 30s, 40s, and 50s, all the way up till modern times. That's been a lot of fun as well. I've got Third Times a Charm, the third 
of every month where I go over the third film in a franchise, which is on life support at the moment. So catch it while you can. And Brian, I believe you and I have a show together. And of course, we have uh, Uncle Francis's wine cellar together. And, you know, you'll hear a Godfather episode hopefully soon. So definitely check that out. We're, We're starting the fall strong if you count september as the fall with global warming and the apocalypse actually happening it hey man, is it's but <laughs> it, it, it's so weird it, it feels like planet earth is like tying up old and like like loose ends and old storylines like salman rushkey's fatwa is being fulfilled like donald trump is getting like gonna go to jail like things are tying up like that's how it feels the earth is getting ready to say goodbye <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not, because uh, so Slumber Party needs to live on. So many movies we haven't covered. I know. I'm I'm, I'm being a uh, a gloomy jokester, <laughs> but uh, I know we're, we're here to stay. Appreciate it, Mike, as always, and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Brian. Big thank you to Mike Manzi, as always. More on him in a second. The superintendent, the best. But I want to make a correction. Originally, I said the Night Hobbs saying night of the comet on the night of the comet soundtrack that is not true the song's actually from 2020 and it seems to be about night of the comet which is awesome so i implore you to check out that song it's really cool okay back to mike manzi he's actually on the next episode because i gotta butter up the teachers butter up the superintendent so you know if i'm kissing mike manzi's ass i gotta kiss the biggest ass not in size in importance the most important ass in the Cage Club Podcast Network universe, and that is Joey Lewandowski. So, the godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski, Mike Manzi, they'll be here for the next episode, and we're talking a film I've never seen, Voyage of the Rock Aliens. They are coming. Traveling through time and space. Their leader is Absid. Their mission is for science. Their only vice. We used to sit around at night watching old time movie shows. Is music. You didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. What did you think? We didn't think at all. Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Their destination is the home of Dee Dee. The hottest ticket in town. Her boyfriend, Frankie, the hottest temper in town. And his band, The Pack, who are always cooking. But things are about to get hotter. All it took was just one look, and Dee Dee short-circuited his fuse box. Some guys will do anything to press a girl. Now Dee Dee's got her chance. Why don't you sing with us? This guy's gonna be dog meat. But the pack want his head. We're stubborn. Sorry, guys. I guess I made a wrong turn. Voyage of the Rock Aliens. It's magical. Maniacal. Could, could you wait? Too short. It's got tunes. See, you never took auto shop. No. And tune-ups. It's okay. It's full of surprises. Watch it. And the beat never stops. 
P. Isadora, Tom Nolan, Craig Shepard, Ruth Gordon, and a special appearance by Jermaine Jackson. So keep your eyes and ears open. Who's that? Your town might be next. Voyage of the Rock Aliens. So that's your homework to watch Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Should be an interesting one. I think it's on YouTube. And of course, remember one more thing. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop, look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's leave you with an actual song off the soundtrack for Night of the Comet. And that is Amy Holland, Chris Farron, Learn to Love Again. Later, friends. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.